0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Arnies. We are three guys hoping Jonathan Byers will eventually get an interesting storyline with nothing better to do. I'm Matt Johnson, and I'm just so curious what age Steve Harrington will actually be when he starts to lose his hair.
1: I'm Keith Baker, and I'm pretty sure I would get frostbite in a Russian prison cell.
0: And I'm
2: Austin Terry, and Will Byers' haircut has become the scariest part of the show.
0: Yeah, that kid's 90 years old. On today's show, we'll be talking about the long-awaited fourth season of Stranger Things over on Netflix. Well, at least the first part of it. This is an exciting one, uh, one I've been looking forward to for a while. In a weird way, Stranger Things feels like a show that debuted, like, way long ago for me. I know it was 2016, but somehow it feels older than that. I guess that just speaks to how long it's been in between seasons. But Yeah. I mean, this show really just came out of nowhere. It was never like, hey, this is the first season. If I recall, it was like this is a miniseries, if I remember right. But it really just became like super quick, like the most popular and watched thing on Netflix. So then they were like, oh, I guess we'll just go ahead and try and do more. So that led to, of course... A bunch more seasons, and we know the fifth one coming out soon, hopefully soon, is the final season. So, this is a huge show. And speaking to the gap between seasons, we've been doing this podcast for I think this week actually marks our two year anniversary. Uh, We have never talked about Stranger Things because there has not been a season to talk about. So, it has been a very long time. This is a show that I have, I wouldn't say mixed feelings about. I just think there are some really good seasons in here. One really bad season, but I think to do a little hint, for me at least, uh, I think they're on a good trajectory here. So I'm excited to talk about this with you guys. It's been a long time coming. So how about Austin and Keith, you let the listeners know about your thoughts on Stranger Things in general, as well as your non-spoiler thoughts on season four, part one.
2: Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that Stranger Things feels like it came out way longer ago than 2016, because I feel the exact same way. Um, for me, the show is just kind of like a comfort show. I love these characters so much. I love the world they've created in this show. Um, Nothing has really come close to the highs of season one of this show for me. Um, And I think I've actually seen season one all the way through like four times or something like that. And I'm not a guy that rewatches shows very often. So that should kind of tell you how I feel about this show. Um, I think I would go so far as to say it's my favorite Netflix original. Season two is definitely a stinker, but the highs of season one and then three and and now even season four, part one, um, kind of outweigh season two for me. So Just going into my general thoughts on season four, part one, I had a great time with this season. Um, There's some really great new cast members. I thought they had a fun way to get you back into the upside down world. There's some really good twists. There's some very, very creepy moments. And I think there's some really great character development moments too with these characters that have kind of grown up with this show. Um, So I'm super high on part one. I can't wait to talk about it. And I think if you're in the minority of people who didn't binge it in its first weekend, I would absolutely recommend checking it out.
1: Yeah, I think I'm going to have to third or sec- second or third, whatever it was. Whatever, I think you said it too, Matthew, that it does feel like the show came out a long time ago. Like it feels like a mid-2000s show, something we would have watched like in our teenage years. Uh, and the fact that it came out in 2016, which is already six years ago now, is crazy. I don't think I have as good as memory of the each individual season as Austin does. For For me, those seasons really blur together. And I think seasons one and two are a little bit more memorable for me. I think those are probably my, my, uh, my favorite out of the first three seasons. Third season was a little bit more down on, but I don't think I was as down on it as a lot of other people were. Uh, I know that one really kind of got to people, at least my friends that I talked to about it. Definitely some cool characters um, they brought in. I like the whole sci-fi aspect of it. And then going into part uh, or season four, part one, man, I, I think I gotta, I gotta admit, this is probably my favorite part of Stranger Things so far. Wow, that's very high praise. I binged it in like two or three days. Every episode was like an hour long and it just flew by um, each time for me. And it's just so interesting to see, like you said, Austin, how far these characters have come, all these new characters we've been introduced to and how cool they are. Um, so, yeah, I'm just looking forward. I'm already, I don't know if it's a spoiler to say, but it, it may be, maybe not be a cliffhanger at the end. And I'm, I'm, I can't wait till the next half of the season comes in.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I think maybe the reason we all agree that it just feels like such a long time ago that the show came out, maybe that's kind of a positive that we can say about the show is it kind of makes you feel like in a lot of ways a kid when you watch it. I think watching these kids, there's just something about them, something about this group. I think it has to do maybe with their attitude, kind of their spirit in general the things that they're interested in i think it kind of harkens back a lot to when we were you know little kids and kind of preteens around that age maybe going into high school for the first time it kind of makes you feel like that so maybe that's why something like season 1 feels like it was 10 plus years ago or something um but yeah i i man that first season of stranger things came out of nowhere uh it was so good it was so atmospheric i think the atmosphere of stranger things is really where They've always nailed it 100%. It's just so engaging and it can be scary at times, it can be funny at times, but it always draws you in no matter what. Um, It's interesting to hear you say that about season three, Keith, with you and your friends, because you're not the only person I've heard say that. I know for a lot of people, season three, wasn't bad, but they just didn't love it. Uh, for me, I'm the opposite. I, I'm kind of, I guess, closer with what Austin said. Season two for me was kind of the bad season. It felt like, you know, like I said, season one wasn't supposed to be season one. That was supposed to be the whole story, essentially. And then they were like, "Oh shit, people love this show. Netflix is making us make more." Uh, let's think of something really quick. And I think that's why season two for me doesn't really work. because it just feels kind of like a jumbled mess of ideas? And season three really was uh, getting back on the right track, at least for me. I felt like they were utilizing their characters better, and I love the ending. Um, but yeah, to talk about season four, part one. Ooh, uh, yeah, I loved it. I love these seven episodes, I think because it's been like three years at this point, I Maybe I'm wrong about that. I think that's how long it's been since season three. I wasn't super excited going in because it's just been so long. I mean, I I know I like season three, but it's like whenever it's been that long of a wait, it's hard to be like, oh my God, I can't wait to watch. But once I started watching, I I was hooked pretty immediately. I mean, there's some little bits and pieces. There's some storylines I didn't love as much. There's some kind of forced, in my opinion, weird character moments that I was like, Oh, really, we're going that route? That seems kind of odd this late in the game, but whatever. Overall, I thought it was an absolute blast. It gave me what I expect and hope from Stranger Things while also giving me a lot of new things, a lot of things that I wasn't expecting. And, you know, when you're this many seasons in, that's definitely a plus. And then lastly, it just, non-spoiler, of course, it also does the thing that I love seeing from, like, long-running franchises, which is... We're four seasons in, so I think it's okay for this show to kind of lean even more into its R rating, or I guess its MA, if you want to call it that. Like This season is much darker and much more mature than the other seasons, but I like that because our main characters, like these kids, are older. They're going into high school, so it makes sense. It's kind of like the Harry Potter thing. As the kids got older, the storylines got more fucked up, got more scary, got more real, and so I really like that they did that here. And yeah, overall, season four, part one was a big hit for me.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. I, I love the fact that this season is darker than its predecessors. Um, there's a serial killer vibe in here. There's some great homages to other 80s classic horror movies. All of that stuff influencing this season was what really worked for me. Um, and I know we're going to get into spoilers here and we have a lot to cover, but I want to ask just kind of a very vague non-spoiler question. As non-spoiler as you can get, what do you think is like the number one thing that worked for you guys in this season since we're all so high on it? For me, I'll, I'll start us off. For me, it's the new cast members that came in this season. That's what kind of put this season over the top for me and made it super enjoyable. And just kind of getting to learn new characters and meet new characters was just really fun.
0: Yeah. The first thing that comes to my mind without question is, you know, I'm already, before I can even say it, it kind of reminds me of what you are just saying, Key. Like this, you think this is the best Stranger your things has been. I might be close. I haven't watched season one in a long time, so I can't remember. I'd have to watch it again to compare, but this might be up there for me. And I think the main reason it is, is because, No spoilers, but the villain this time around is by far, I think, the best we've ever had. Um, And there's a lot of reasons to get into as to why. Won't get into it yet, but without question, I think we finally have an extremely compelling villain that isn't just kind of a basic motivation of, I'm evil. So yeah, there's lots of great stuff there, and I love this villain. Made up for a very compelling antagonist for our heroes.
2: Ooh, I think I may uh,
1: disagree a little bit, but we'll get into that later. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, for me, I, I guess it would be maybe like the horror elements that come in on this one. And how it almost gave me a kind of, going back to like it being like kind of a kid show, it kind of gave me like a Halloween uh, movie kind of vibe the whole time I'm watching it. Felt like Evil Dead for me. Yeah, definitely some Evil Dead moments. Um, and I think we just, we got, some, we got some answers. And I can't say what we got answers to yet, but we got some answers in this one. And it was just cool to see how the characters were able to play off the answers that we got. So that's all I'll say without spoiling anything.
0: All right. Well, with that, let's go ahead and get into spoiler territory. If you have not watched Stranger Things Season 4 Part 1, but because this is one of the most popular shows of all time, you probably have. So just stick around. We're about to get into spoilers. We're about to talk all about the villains, all about the horror, all about the new cast members we all just mentioned. So here we go. Let's get into it. All right. So going into our cast and crew, Stranger Things is, of course, created by the Duffer brothers. And this season, we saw the Duffers directed three of the episodes. Sean Levy did two, including the fourth episode, Dear Billy. He's known for executive producing all of Stranger Things and directing Night at the Museum, Free Guy, The Atom Project and Deadpool 3. And then we have Nimrod Anatal, who did two of the episodes, and he's known for the criminally underrated, in my opinion, Predators. Our score was composed by Michael Stein and Kyle Dixon, and some of the big songs I'm sure you're seeing on Spotify are "You Spin Me Round, Rock Me Amadeus, and Kate Bush's Super Good Running Up That Hill.
1: All right, and going into our cast, we have Winona Ryder as Joyce Byers, David Harbour as Hopper, Millie Bobby Brown as Eleven, Finn Wolfhard as Mike Wheeler, Gatton Matarazzo as Dustin Henderson, Caleb McLaughlin as Lucas Sinclair, Noah Schnapp as Will Byers, Sadie Sink as Max Mayfield, Natalia Dyer as Nancy Wheeler, Charlie Heaton as Jonathan Byers, Joe Keery as Steve Harrington, Maya Hawke as Robin Buckley, Brett Gelman as Murray, Priya Ferguson as Erica Sinclair, and we got Matthew Modine as Dr. Brenner, and Paul Reiser as Sam Owens.
2: And we do have some newcomers this season. Um, Those include Joseph Quinn as Eddie Munson, Jamie Campbell-Bauer as Henry Creel, a.k.a. Vecna, Eduardo Franco as Argyle, Tom Vlachishaw as Enzo Antonov, Mason Die as Jason, Tristan Spawn as Two, and Robert Englund as Victor Creel. Alrighty, guys, we got a long cast and crew there. Uh, any highlights, any negatives, what you got?
1: Yeah, it's a long list. It's hard to choose. Um, but right off, right off the top of my head, I'll go ahead and say David Harbour as Hopper. Uh, I've always liked him as Hopper throughout the whole series. But especially this season, as he's stuck in this Russian prison Russian prison camp, it's the darkest we've ever seen him get, and the most emotional too. I think. Yeah, the most emotional, and like you see him, you see him have to go through like some of the toughest obstacles uh, to get to get out of this whole ordeal that he's in. He put on a really great performance as usual, um, but you know, up to up one more notch on this season so far.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. That's a good pick, Keith. I think uh, your little preface there is also interesting, uh, a fun tease for our you know, kind of in-depth discussion coming up. But whew, if I talked about it with Ozark, and I talk about it often, I feel like, with art reviews, especially with TV, Stranger Things has a character problem. There are too many people, and I guess because it's so popular, <laughs> they refuse to kill anybody. So I just had to get it out there, get it out of the way, because there, there's too many peak characters in this show. And I think the show ultimately suffers from it because there's just too much to kind of keep track of. But that being said, to be positive, um, looking at the big cast and crew here, I mean, if I'm going to shout out somebody from the crew side, um, I I just love the direction in general of this show. I thought all of all three of our directors this season, I guess four because you have the Duffer brothers, uh, did a great job. I would particularly shout out Sean Levy because I thought Dear Billy, the episode he directed, the fourth one was my favorite of the season, thought they did great. Uh, one of the best of the series, I would say, by far. Uh, and then my two from the cast, it's, pr- it's actually for such a long list, it's, it's surprisingly easy for me. One of them is one of our old school cast members, and one of them is somebody that just joined. Speaking of Dear Billy, that episode focused on Sadie Sink, who played Max Mayfield, who is a character that joined in season two didn't have too much to do in that season they started to give her more in season three and in this season for sure i just thought she was fantastic so good love watching her she's given so much to do whether it be kind of comedic relief very like heavy emotional scenes so she kind of runs the gamut and does a great job with everything and then my other one my new guy is a. Uh, I just love this guy, guys. Joseph Quinn as Eddie Munson. Ugh. I'm sorry. I, I had a feeling Austin would take it, but <laughs> he's, my, he's my other cash shout out. He was so good. So fun to watch. So charismatic. But you also felt for him because he was in an impossible situation. Um, and he really kind of not only was super funny, but really gave you – Kind of the, I don't know, just like that scary element. If you found yourself in his shoes, how you would feel. And he really played that super well. So loved him too.
2: Yeah, I'm super annoyed because we changed the order of who does cast and crew this (laughs) week. I normally would have gone first. It would have been my time to shine and call out (laughs) Joseph Quinn, but Matt stole it from me. Um, I'll echo that, though. Joseph Quinn is, I think, the best addition to the cast and crew Uh, this season. I think he's fantastic. I've got a Nice to See Award to Dacre Montgomery as Billy Hargrove. Great to see him again in episode four. And I've got a secondary Nice to See you Award to uh, Sam from Ozark, who played a young Victor Creel in some of the flashbacks. Fun to see him. Um, I think my ultimate highlight, though, is going to have to be Gatton Matarazzo as Dustin Henderson. Um, this kid's fantastic. I really like that he's once again back in the roles of like solving the mystery and communicating everything through Dungeons and Dragons lore. Um, I think that element was kind of lost in season three and a little bit in season two. And I'm, I'm kind of glad they brought that back in from season one. Um, and my other highlight is going to be Joe Carey as Steve Harrington. He doesn't have a lot to do this season, but he acknowledges that too. And I found that kind of fun for the character and the relationship between him and Dustin this season. It's, it's been one of my favorite of the shows to watch um, as it continues. And the fact that Justin is kind of getting more angsty and, and annoying Steve um, found really fun this season too.
0: God, I'm stuck babysitting again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, my last shout out would be Jamie Campbell Bauer as Henry Creel, aka One. This guy freaking creeped me out. He's creepy. (laughs) Whenever whenever Elle is like doing her little deal on the, she's like dropping this plastic coin into the slots and she has to try to make it land in in, like a numbered, uh, or has to go through these wooden pegs and it has to land in like a numbered slot. And every every time she goes into that room, he's just like, it's a tough exercise, isn't it? Or something like that. (laughs) And just his voice is so weird and monotone. And now that we're in spoiler territory, did not
0: see that coming with him. Really cool twist, I thought. I really love that ending monologue and moment. Came out of nowhere. Yeah, I guess before I move on, just a, a fun little thing to mention. I don't know if anybody will care, but <laughs> it's kind of a fun fact, if you will. I'm going to bring back our fun fact segment. But yeah, Tristan Spawn, who played two in this season, mostly in episodes five through seven, uh, he's like kind of a local DFW actor. And I went to school in Fort Worth and I actually had the chance to direct him six years ago in a short film I did while in school. So, talk about a super, just like cool moment, you know, six years later, watching Stranger Things, just popping it on and going, Hey, is that Tristan? And like, <laughs> he just, yeah, I mean, he's, he knocked it out of the park. I mean, really scary character, really kind of shows. Just like the depths of depravity that Matthew Modine as Dr. Brenner will go to and how fucked up his quote unquote children have become because of it. Uh, so he kind of plays the bully role and it kind of harkens back to the bullying that Eleven is getting in modern times. So a really scary character. And I thought Tristan did a great job. So I wanted to shout him out because what a, what a cool moment getting to watch him after working with him before.
2: Yeah, he was great. I hope, um, I hope this is kind of his big break, and we get to see more of him in bigger projects in
1: the future. Yeah, he better, he better send you a thank you letter.
0: <laughs> he doesn't need to send me anything. <laughs> I, did, I did not help him. <laughs> Maybe we'll see him in a uh, Halloween Ends later this year. Let's
2: <laughs> hope not. That may be a step down yeah, if he takes skip that role. Get that one. <laughs> he plays a, He plays a
0: teenage Tommy Doyle. Oh, no! We don't need flashbacks. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, guys, I'm super excited. Let's go ahead and get into the nitty gritty. We each brought some thoughts and opinions and some random things we wanted to talk about from season four, part one. So I'll start us off, guys. So as we always do, are there any kind of just, I don't know, general standout points about the season that we haven't already mentioned?
2: Yeah. So I I think we have yet to have an entire season with our whole cast um, united. It was a fun idea for season one. I'm a little tired of everybody being separated again now four seasons into the show. So what are your thoughts? Once again, people are split up in a weird way. People get teamed up differently than you would expect. What were your thoughts on the fact that our cast and crew is not together again for the entirety of another season of Stranger Things?
1: Oh, man, that's a good question. I, I enjoyed everything we got from them separately. So it's hard to say I was wishing they were together the whole time. But I think it's definitely a building that they're going to come together here, hopefully in the next episode or two.
2: I hope so. I do think them being split up does lead to some characters being underused and their storylines not feeling as important as some of the main, uh, more important
1: threads. And that's kind of my my main negative for them being split up again. I would, I would say maybe the weakest thread out of all of these is maybe Jonathan and um, Will
0: and Mike. After Eleven leaves that story, what they're left with is just, I like those actors. I wish they had more to do, but it, it's not fun to watch at all.
2: It's kind of shocking that Mike's involved in that storyline, and yeah, he, he has point. been the main character for so long.
1: Yeah, no, it feels it 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 does kind of feel unfitting that he is there. It, it feels like it should just be Will and Jonathan and Jonathan Stoner' friend. Who I liked, I liked Argyle. Shout out. <laughs> yeah, Argyle's, Argyle's great. He's funny. Yeah, I thought. I thought he was going to annoy me and he's hilarious. Maybe that's why they put him in there because he, he kind of brings life to that, that group because Jonathan and, and Will are, you know, pretty depressing sometimes. <laughs> yeah. My
0: favorite Argyle detail was that whenever uh, he comes to pick them up, whenever that shootout is happening, he sees the guy running towards the car and he doesn't say, why does that guy have a gun? He goes, why does that guy own a gun? <laughs> that was a funny detail.
2: I do kind of agree with you though, Keith. If it had been Jonathan, Will, Argyle, and that was our story, I think I actually may have been more interested if Mike
0: wasn't there, because the whole time I was like, why is Mike here? Like, just he should be with the, the other group. Yeah. It's tough. Because, like, I mean, I don't know. I guess you kind of alluded to it just now, Austin, but would you say season one had our entire cast together? Obviously, I know the big kind of MacGuffin of that season is finding Will Byers. But besides him, I guess the whole cast was together technically but it's just they were they were
2: split up into different groups but they were all working towards the same goal okay and i felt like that fit the story
0: better right and the cool thing about this season which we'll get to later is that we never it, it never seems like they're working towards the same goal but then the big twist at the end is oh you kind of are like vecna is kind of the main villain of all the storylines we just didn't know it at the time because it turns out he was henry creel which Nancy and that crew are investigating. He's also one who is working with Eleven, and then he's also Vecna, which is terrorizing everybody. So it was, it was, it was cool. It's just to your point, like you just said, Austin. It's like we didn't know that, so it didn't feel like that until oh, it just happened. But yeah, uh, going back to the original point, when you keep adding like cast members, like and not just one, like multiple in seasons two and three and now four. I love them all, so I can't complain about like their ability or anything, but it's like, yeah, even though these episodes are so damn long, a lot of them get shortchanged. I don't even think, if I recall correctly, the Jonathan, Will, Mike, and Argyle story was even in the final episode. I think it was in six, and then... They like went to all the other episodes in the finale. And maybe that's because they originally weren't going to release this in two parts, but it's still kind of funny. It's like, oh, you guys didn't care about it either. (laughs) So, yeah, I I think it all goes back to what you said, though, Keith, like in season four, part two, you have to imagine they're going to come together again. And hopefully season five, since that's the final season, like that whole thing is going to be them together but i guess like to play devil's advocate that was kind of seasons 2 and 3 which is like they're kind of apart for most of the season and then the finale hits and it's like oh we're all together again now we can win i do think
2: splitting them up does kind of lead to us retreading old ground again like like once again we're doing the storyline of lucas is wanting to do something different from the group and i feel like we've done that every single season
0: I will say this season was the best, though. I thought I actually kind of really sympathized, and I guess maybe even the better word would be I empathized with Lucas's situation of like, guys, like we've been you know losers our whole life. I'm not trying to leave you. You guys are still my best friends, but we get to high school and I found a group that they kind of like me. I kind of like them, and you know we're playing sports and I'm good at it, so. Why do you guys, it's just like, you guys hate me for this. Like, why? That's the thing where I like, kind of like, didn't like Mike and Dustin at first. It's like, they're kind of berating him. It's like, can't you guys ask Eddie to move the D&D game? Oh, well, can you ask your coach to move the basketball game? It's like, no, I can't. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) It's not the same thing, Can you move the entire school's game? (laughs) I totally agree with you though, Austin. It's like, yes, we've seen that before. We have, oh my God, my, my, the worst example of that is, did we need, (sighs) did we need another Steve, Nancy and Jonathan love triangle that we've gotten for three now out of the four seasons? I think no. And at least in the Lucas situation, they did it best here. They did not do that best here. I was like rolling my eyes the entire time.
2: I was worried they were setting up a love triangle between Jonathan, Nancy and the nerdy reporter kid. And when he died, (laughs) I was honestly ecstatic.
0: That kid was miserable.
2: My favorite death of the season.
0: Yeah, he, was, he, he may have deserved it too. Did he kill his friend and then flee the scene? Vecna
2: says he did that. And every time he calls out people's trauma, it's something that actually happened. So, mm-hmm.
0: hmm. well, something to think about. Fred, think on that one in your grave. <laughs>
2: Overall, how did you guys think they continued on the atmosphere into a fourth season? Did it, did it still really work for you
1: guys? Or are you kind of getting tired of all the 80s nostalgia? What are your thoughts there? I love the 80s nostalgia. That's probably one of the number one things I like about the show. And I like seeing all like the stuff in the background. Like when they go to the movies, you see like a poster of Back to the Future. Um, and then all their like their gadgets, like the walkie-talkies. It's cool that we're not seeing cell phones and stuff like that and stuff like that. I like I like that time period of the 80s. I've always been fascinated with that that decade.
0: Yeah, it's fun because talking about the atmosphere, when you ask that question, my mind immediately goes to just something else like of course the 80s nostalgia is super fun to see i don't have any personal nostalgia for the 80s because i wasn't alive but i think keith said it right it's just it's a very fascinating decade so it's fun to see kind of a this like fictionalized insight into it but for me when you say atmosphere i immediately just think about more of the horror elements i think about kind of what the world looks like day to day but then just at like you know you know, flip a switch and we're in the upside down or something like that. So that's kind of what I think about the atmosphere is it's like it's it's very lighthearted. But at the same time, there is like this supernatural serial killer (laughs) about and our heroes have gone through this so much that they kind of it's not that they don't care. It's just that they're not super bothered by it. They're like, oh, we'll stop that. So, yeah, whenever I think of the atmosphere of Stranger Things, I kind of think about that perfect balance between kind of romance kind of that you know that youthful romance that everybody feels uh the comedy the like the actual drama that emotional weight that we've talked about and then of course like the horrific elements and going to the upside down and seeing what that all looks like visually so i think whenever i think about atmosphere for me that's what all comes to mind and i think season 4 part 1 really just kept going and did a great job it felt like like kind of kind of said at the beginning It felt like Stranger Things. It felt very on-brand, but I feel like we also got to see some new elements, which was super cool.
2: Yeah, I just love the design of this show, Um, from the set pieces to the wardrobe to the music choices. All of it just fits the vision of the show. Um, And I especially appreciated the upside-down design this season. I thought this may be the best it's ever been, especially when they're playing with the fact that when they go into the upside-down, they can go to other places within their neighborhood or, or places they know, it's just going to be slightly different. Um, and, and the fact that we spent, I think, an entire episode in the Upside Down this season, which is, I think, the most we've ever spent consecutively in a season, I was really admiring all of the hard work that goes into creating this Upside Down and making it feel drastically different from what we see on the other side of the portals.
1: Yeah, I love the Upside Down world of this one too, Austin. Um, like Especially when they figure out how the gates work, you know, the gates are there where all the the killings had happened. Watergate. Watergate, and then uh, Trailer Park Gate, how they figure out how to get through those gates is really cool, um, and how they're able to communicate. And when they figure out that the Upside Down world is actually stuck in 1983 from the first season, that was pretty mind-blowing, too. Yeah, I really want to know where that's going to lead,
2: because that seemed like a pretty big reveal, and they spent a lot of time figuring that out.
0: Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I just didn't know what the point of that was. Not in a bad way. I was just like, okay, that's an interesting twist, but... How is that going to pay off? Like, what's the significance of the upside down being, I guess, stuck in time, so to speak? How's that going to serve the story? Also, like, was it I don't know if you guys are it the same way, but the final shot of the show is one like falling through the upside down, I guess, and then turning into Vecna. But whenever whenever he was falling through, it was almost like. There was no form to it. It was just kind of like random mountains and he was just falling through this weird space. It didn't look like Hawkins. Was that intentional? Are we supposed to believe that Vecna maybe made this the way it looks or I don't know. That was just something that kind of stood out to me as like, "Oh, what he's falling through right now and I think 1979 doesn't look anything like the Upside Down that we know currently."
2: Yeah, I noticed that too and but then they also set Vecna up to be a, a general of the Mind Flare as well. So I'm really curious about what their relationship is, and if the Mind Flare is coming back, or if or if Vecna is actually the one in charge of this world, and maybe they're just wrong. The characters are wrong about their relationship, and the Mind Flare actually works for Vecna.
0: That stood out to me too. Part of me was like, could they be wrong about that? Because Vecna seems like way more like a full fledged villain, and like there's there's something more there than the Mind Flare, who's just kind of this being that we've seen. Um, so I'm curious where that's going to go as well Yeah,
1: and I was wondering is there more than one upside down like is there like multiple dimensions of it I
0: mean if there isn't then that would mean that Eleven somehow created it because that would mean that she sent one there but she didn't mean to so does she just have the ability to send other people to this other strange dimension I don't know
2: yeah I thought when they were doing their like Force-push battle, I thought that was what was going to be what created the portal, not just Eleven kind of destroying One. But
1: One being a younger Freddy Creel, he already had the powers, right? And he had access to another world? I don't know if he has access to another
2: world. I think he just has psycho-telepathic powers. He
0: did, to your point, Keith. I mean, he. the reason I think Vecna could be the ultimate big bad of this show is because... He seems to be like the furthest back in time evil being possibly even predating the upside down because yeah he has like the same like you know telepathic powers but he did also have those i mean it's no secret it's no like It's a fun twist that they cast Robert Englund, who played Freddy Krueger, as Victor Creel, his father, because Vecna has, like, Freddy Krueger powers. He's making them experience their worst fears. He's, like, bringing out their ultimate guilt, uh, whether they killed somebody or they – you know, like, in Nancy's case, she – she didn't, like, cause Barb to die, but maybe if she hadn't been making out with Steve at the time, maybe she would have been able to help her. So he, Vecna can, like, bring out, like, this guilt and this fear and this regret, a la Freddy Krueger. And I don't know. That's not, that's not something we've seen Eleven or any of these other subjects to have. So it's kind of a scary ability. So maybe that kind of means they can tap into the upside down. But, of course, that would mean that it existed beforehand. So th- there's still a lot of questions to be answered in part two. So we've kind of hit a lot of the stories. We're bouncing
2: around a little bit here, um, and we've touched on a lot of the storylines in this season. So I just want to know, of everything that they've set up for season four, part one and part two, which storyline are you guys the most interested in?
1: I, I'm still. I'm, I think I'm still more interested in the upside down world and how Vecna is going to continue his whole process of taking all these kids that have these past traumas. So now we're left off with Nancy. Everybody makes it through by her. So. I think I'm looking forward to that that cliffhanger the most out of everything. And then, of course, Hopper and uh, Joyce getting back from Russia. That'd be nice to see them come back to Hawkins, finally.
0: All right, cool. I mean, that's a good spot for me to jump in. I think if we're separating everything out that we saw in part one into four storylines, I think by far... I mean, it, it felt like the one they spent the most time on and they gave the most care to was... I guess I would just call it the Hawkins storyline... Which is where we see most of our familiar characters. And this is, of course, you know, Eddie Munson has been framed for murder. And so now, like, Nancy, Dustin, Steve, Lucas, Max, and the whole gang are going to come together and try and figure it out in Hawkins. And that, of course, involves the Victor Creel element and investigating that. That was what I was most interested in. I think that's probably what got the most screen time. And then... The payoff to the Eleven storyline I thought was also super good. There were some weird elements along the way, like, editing-wise. Like, I just kept forgetting that, like, what we were seeing wasn't in real time. (laughs) I kept forgetting that Eleven was witnessing events from the past. And then it made me question, does she have any agency in this? But anyway, I I was very interested in that. The two... I'm very excited to talk about with you, Keith. It sounds like you really liked it. I mean, I would say the worst one I already mentioned, which was after Eleven leaves the California story, watching Jonathan, who will never have a good storyline in the show after season one, I guess, uh, (laughs) Will Byers and Mike watching them. We're going to go find Eleven. It was like, I didn't care at all about that. But I got to say, I mean, my second least favorite was, shockingly, the Hopper- Joyce and Murray story I was just shocked that it took all seven episodes to get to any conclusion there and really it just felt like oh we're cutting back to Hopper again he has a few scenes with um, Enzo and then he's like I'm gonna get you out of here and then he's able to escape, and it feels like this big moment, and then he's immediately captured again. It's like, now we're going to torture you more. It's like, okay. Meanwhile, Joyce and Marie are trying to fly there. They get betrayed. I didn't care. It ultimately just leads to kind of some good dialogue of understanding more about Hopper's backstory and kind of how he may have inadvertently caused his own daughter to die because of like the Agent Orange stuff, which was very sad. But then he just fights a demigorgon, and I understand he's like, maybe I was put here for a purpose because this thing wants to kill Elle, so I'm going to help her. And then he fights it, and it's like he gets out and he enjoys Hug, and it's like, wow, we, we took seven like hour-plus long episodes to get here? I under- I'm excited for the part two where maybe he links up with other characters, but that storyline just took so long for me, and I, I was always itching to get back to the Hawkins storyline whenever they cut to that.
2: Yeah, I'm definitely most interested in the Hawkins storyline, of course, because that's the centerpiece of the show. Um, my number two, actually, would be the Russia storyline. Um, mm-hmm. I could have cared less about California, and, and honestly, I was pretty bored with the Eleven storyline, too. I would like the payoff of that story, but how long it took to get to that point that's was true. really not interesting for me, especially just because bringing Brenner back in, once again, felt like retreading old ground. Um, the thing that I liked about the Russia storyline is that it wasn't easy. When Joyce boards the plane in episode two, and it seems like they're going to get him out and everything's working. The fact that they set that up in season three, it, it just wasn't going to be very rewarding for me if by episode three, he's already back in Hawkins and ready to rock. Um, I'm super excited to see them trapped in a creepy Russian prison with a Demogorgon. I think that's going to be really fun. And I really enjoyed the pairing once again of Joyce and Murray together. I think Murray's hilarious and seeing their relationship and how much they kind of trust each
1: other now um, found that really fun, too. Going to the Eleven storyline, being back with uh, with Brenner and Owens, that, that's confusing me a little bit as far as what their motive is with Project Nina. Um, I still don't really know. I guess that's the whole point, is that we're not supposed to, really supposed to know?
0: I think Owens was telling the truth. I think he meant it when he said that Eleven needs to regain her powers because she will have to save the world from this threat. So I think they're kind of going to some dark, possible, you know scary moral places in terms of like keeping 11 there but i i think he was telling the truth like we're trying to force this situation that will give you your powers back because we need you to have your powers because otherwise whatever's happening the upside down is gonna like consume the world So since the Hawkins story is the main one, we should probably go a bit more in depth on it because, I mean, there are so many moving parts. Uh, I feel like this might be the only story that we cut back to pretty consistently throughout all seven episodes. So is there anything else that you guys wanted to talk about? What else stood out to you? Because not only do we have this kind of overarching story that we talked about with like the Creel investigation, all of these teenagers from Hawkins mysteriously dying, that tying to Vecna, but then we kind of also have... At least, you know, five or six of our characters going into like some of their random subplots. I think Max probably being the most substantial there. Like, with all this going on, we're still getting tons of time to understand what Max is going through, for example. So I just wanted to spend a little bit more time on the Hawkins story then. What, what kind of stood out to you guys here?
2: Yeah, I think the fact that we have a new threat that's different from everything else we've seen, because it's been three straight seasons of monsters. So coming into season four, that's what I was most worried about was, how are we going to keep this interesting? Is it just going to be another new monster that we've seen that before? So we we had this new threat that kind of breaks all of the already established rules of the show. So I found that really scary for these characters. Um, Someone who can invade your dreams from the upside down, crumple your mind from within, and then totally destroy your body was super scary. And that's my favorite part of this Hawkins storyline—is the new threat. Yeah,
1: and like what sparked off that new threat? Is like, so now Eddie Munson goes into hiding because everybody thinks that he he killed Chrissy. Um, uh, and I, I like that whole that whole chase ordeal or, or, or the hunt for Eddie as he's hiding out in the boathouse the entire time. Uh, with was it Jason, the main jock dude? I like Jason as a character too. Um, he's a little he gets a little cheesy at times, but I like I like him and the fact that. He's kind of with the rest of, like, the town of Hawkins, that a lot of them are kind of blind to what's actually going on, and they just think that their town is cursed and that the the devil is taking over. It really plays into the Satanic
2: Panic of the 80s, too, the which was thing. used yes. to kind of attack marginalized groups within the country. So I, I like that there are some real-world elements that play into these characters, too.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. It, it was really fascinating because, I mean, Jason obviously is a character that that's like, God, I hate this guy. I mean, he's a dick. Um, But then he's kind of defying that stereotype uh, throughout the show. One of my favorite little examples is whenever uh, Lucas makes the final shot after he misses, he's not like... Fuck this guy. He's the new hotness. Like, fuck you, dude. Like, yeah, he's the one that kind of is like, yeah, Luke. <laughs> like, He's like <laughs> putting him up on his shoulder. So he's not a terrible guy. I think he's just maybe using religion for the wrong reasons personally. And then he's also buying into the satanic panic that you mentioned, Austin. He's kind of leading this mob mentality. But I was kind of with him or not with him because I was on Eddie's side. But I understood what he was thinking in like the first part of the season. His girlfriend gets killed in Eddie Munson's trailer. Yeah. You probably should go visit the guy if you can find him and see what's going on. Um, We can't really blame him for that because Eddie fled because he was scared. But then like the second half of the season, man, that mob mentality element really got scary at that town hall that um, the sheriff was holding. And then Jason just walks in and is like, no, you're wrong. Like the devil is taking over this town. They're they're having ritual sacrifices and we're blaming the Hellfire Club. And they just like pass around this picture of like these like totally normal, like fine looking kids just like, s- like cheesing for the camera. And it's like they're devil worshippers. <laughs> and obviously he's misguided, but. It is like a very engaging element of the show to watch, and granted, he did watch his friend get pulled out of the lake, and he got Vecnaed, if you will, uh, in front of him, so we can kind of understand it. So, kind of a cool uh, villain storyline there. But yeah, I-, I thought everything here was really firing on all cylinders. I, I mean, Eddie Munson. Can, can we say any more? I mean, what a character!
2: <laughs> I just he's love so fun guy. too. He. I want to play D&D with him. It looks awesome. Me too. I will say mob mentality, uh, they did it better, and they made it more scarier than Halloween Kills did.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's hard not to. Yeah, I mean, uh, there, there were so many good individual character moments, too. I mean, bringing back the love triangle conversation, I personally really had no interest in them doing, oh, Steve has been in love with Nancy this whole time, and oh, all of a sudden, maybe Nancy loves Steve which I get it. Things with Jonathan are hard and they're long distance, but it just didn't feel earned to me. But there were some great little moments along the way with like Maya Hawk as Robin, who is I think the standout of season three and she comes back for a very fun role and she, she and Nancy become friends and like, she's like trying to convince Nancy, Hey, by the way, Steve and I aren't a thing, Uh, but maybe you guys, that, that could be kind of fun, huh? <laughs> and then <laughs> Whenever, uh, Steve and Eddie kind of become buddies in the final episode, and he kind of echoes the same thing. I wasn't shipping it, as the kids say, but I was like, you know what, Robin and Eddie, I do like them being good friends. I liked seeing that happen in real time. That was fun.
2: I really like the Max and Lucas relationship too. I know they're broken up for this season, but they the way they interact just felt very mature. And the fact that Lucas still cares about Max and, and you can tell Max still cares about Lucas, too. Like she's listening to his game on the radio, um, but she's just dealing with her own personal stuff and isn't ready to be in a relationship. I just found that very fascinating and a, a very interesting twist on the like, will they won't they um, elements of the show. You you know who else cracks me
1: up is Lucas's little sister. Oh man, <laughs> she's great. I was glad she was back. <laughs> she, she she's probably one so of my, like one of my favorite characters as far as like comedy goes in the show. She's hilarious, and then she wins the D and D game, and Eddie gets all like I guess mad but kind of happy for her at the same time. And then uh, whenever they're they're on the couch and they're they're like they're talking to the police, and she's like, "They are lying."
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: so good, so good.
2: So we jump across the country now and go to Nevada and a little known scientific experiment as Project Nina.
0: Yeah. I mean, like I said, at first the storyline, I was like, what are they doing with this? It's like, okay, in order for Eleven to get her powers back, she has to relive her past because clearly there's something that she's forgetting or suppressing. and If she can remember that. Then maybe that will allow her to be her most powerful self, essentially. I was like, okay, that's kind of a cool premise.
2: And I was excited for that. Like the idea of Eleven kind of going back to her roots, but in a safe environment with Dr. Owens. I thought that was going to be really cool and fascinating to see her like willingly having agency yeah. in her training. The main thing that didn't work for me in this storyline and why I found it kind of boring is Dr. Brenner's involvement because it just wasn't anything new for me. This was, a, I felt this was the biggest miss of the season personally.
1: I like the flashbacks with Brenner in there, but I don't. Yeah, I think he's kind of pointless in present day time.
0: Yeah, there has to be a lot more of him going on. I don't know what it is. I don't know if that's going to be a season four part two thing or is his resolution going to come in season five? I don't know. Because he clearly does care for his subjects. I I don't want to call him children like he does, because that is just odd to me. But yeah, Papa. Good
2: morning, children. Papa.
0: Yeah. Good morning, (laughs) Papa. His his subjects.
2: Nine. Will you kindly get the door?
1: (laughs) Yes, Papa. Stop. I hate it.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Nine. (laughs) (laughs) But he does like have a genuine care for them i think beyond scientific purposes but then it's like he in his mind apparently 11 killed all of them and then he's like happy to see her later he's trying to coach her through it and so for that reason it, it kind of fell off and i was with you guys but then i really to put it simply i think all it comes down to is um owens is working with brenner because they know that Hawkins and the world is at stake and that Eleven has to have her powers. I know I said this already, but I think that's as kind of, you know, clear cut and simple as it is. They need to force her to get her powers back so that she can combat this evil force that is coming. And I think that's the reason why Owens, who seems like a genuinely decent guy who does care for Eleven's safety and well-being – That's kind of why he might be willing to work with Brenner and keep her in this Nevada facility against her will, potentially, because they have no other choice. Like She has to get her powers back or they might be fucked. So I I, I thought it was kind of cut and dry and kind of boring in that sense. But I kind of think that's the reasoning. Any theories
2: on what the Mike crew is going to do once they arrive? And how is a stoned Argyle going to fare in a government facility?
0: I don't know. (laughs) Not well. I just, I mean, I'm curious to see how it's gonna go, but I mean, that has to like has the potential to be like the biggest like wet blanket moment of the season. It's just like that's literally been Jonathan Argyle, Mike, and Will's whole goal this season, and then they're gonna get there, right? And either they're not gonna be able to get in, so it's like, wow, what what a beautiful payoff, or they're gonna oh, be able to get heavy, in. Oh, that's heavy, man. Yeah, <laughs> or they get in and just like one guard puts a gun to their head and they're like, oh, sorry. So I just, yeah, I don't see how it's going to be satisfying. Maybe we'll get some cool moments, because I believe they've all met Owens. So maybe he can kind of talk them down and convince them how important this is. Maybe, but regardless, I just don't think that storyline is going to have a very purposeful or exciting payoff. So begs the question why they did it in the first place and spent so much time on it. I am a little excited
2: to see... Dr. Brenner's reaction when from his perspective, these fucking kids show up again and mess with his experiment. I think that's going to be kind of fun. But yeah, I'm with you. I think this is set up to be a little underwhelming unless there's just like something unexpected that we can't see happening that comes
1: from this storyline. I think one scenario that could happen is I think that Mike, Jonathan and Will and Argyle might get there at the same time as the other agency that was interrogating the one officer that was shot and left living. I think he might have given them the co- the coordinates as well so they yeah, could meet there at the I same time right. and that L might leap in the chaos, they might be able to get L out. That's what I'm thinking.
0: Or L kills all of that government agency like the second they get there or something. But of course, if she does that, Mike's going to be like, "Oh, sorry, Eleven, I know I can't say I love you anymore, but I do I do like and care about you, but you just scared me because you killed those bad people." because whenever she like hurt her bully like he was like you scared me guys i i'm starting i'm starting the campaign now her bully deserved a skate to the face oh, sorry heck yeah. she deserved <laughs> it
2: <laughs> you got to think about it from mike's perspective though he he has not seen the 6 months of torment that ella's had so he shows up and day 2 she's whacking this kid in the face with a roller skate <sighs>
0: that's fair but he did witness firsthand them playing that music and like filming them torturing her in the middle of a skate rink, and he just is watching with his mouth agape. And then, whenever she retaliates, he's like, You scared me. I'm sorry, I wrote you 200 letters and never said I love you. I, i do. and she's like, Mike, you never say, it. he's like, I do say it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So,
2: I think the only point we haven't really hit yet is the twist that Vecna is a human. Um, yeah. I said this up in my intro. I didn't like this as much as Matt did. Mm -hmm. And it's a pretty simple reason for me. Um, Most of the Upside Down has been like otherworldly in this show. There's these crazy monsters. It feels different. So the reason this didn't work for me is just, it's mainly just the fact that it's a human. Like that just, that didn't hit me. I think the way the show wanted it to, it just doesn't feel scary enough for me. If it had just been Vecna as this creature from the Upside Down, I think would have worked for me. But the fact that he's just a human and, his whole motivation is he didn't fit in as as a kid and, and all that stuff. Like I didn't find that particularly scary or particularly as exciting as this like creature from the upside down that we don't fully understand their motivation yet.
1: I don't think it bothers me too much that he's a human. I think if anything bothered me about it, it was how fast he became Vecna. Like it could it would have been kinda cool if he got like maybe like a just like a minute long, I guess, flashback to maybe him slowly becoming like the form that he
0: is in now. Yeah, I think they did imply that. Maybe they just didn't do the best job about showing it because I, I rewatched the final scene again. And whenever he's... Cause remember, that's in 1979. So whenever he's falling through the upside down, like he's getting hit with electricity, whatever you want to call it. And then it kind of pauses when i looking into the camera and he has like his skin isn't completely screwed up. He has no tentacles and he still has all of his hair. Um, and then it like immediately like... Flash cuts, and then it shows Vecna in present day. So the idea, I think, is that it took a bunch of years for him to get to that. But your point still stands that it's like, from an audience perspective, we didn't see the transition. It just like, you know, it's pretty quick. Um, So I agree with you there. But I think the thing that ultimately worked for me is, even though it was a little bit of just kind of exposition, that final scene where he's just kind of monologuing to Eleven and. Talking about – well, maybe the transition between him from one to – Vecant didn't work as well. The transition from Henry Creel, like young Henry Creel, uh, to one I thought worked super well. Like watching him talk about how he always felt different. Like he's really echoing sentiments that Eleven said to Mike earlier in the season in regards to like how she is like feeling bullied and how she feels different and all that. Except, you know, she went in a positive direction and he went in a more negative direction. He starts to discover like these, you know, screwed up things about this house. And then he's like, all these people around me, including my father, they feel this incredible guilt. Like he bombed a house in the war that he thought was filled with the Germans. And it turns out there was like no Germans and it was like an innocent baby in there. And it's like, I want to punish these people that are lesser than us that feel You know, this incredible guilt that I've done bad things like we can be gods to them, Eleven, something like that. Like he kind of felt this kinship with her because he thought that they were the same. And in many ways they were. But I think she's just a better person and, you know, more adjusted than him. So I love that transition. But I do agree with you that uh, just like basically making the final shot, just him falling through the sky and becoming Vecna, a little bit goofy, a little bit goofy for sure.
2: I completely agree that the transition from Henry to one is really well done and totally earned. The fact that Vecna is a human though, for me, it just overall makes him less scary. It makes him feel mortal to me. It's kind of like in Bly Manor when the ghosts ultimately are not scary. Retroactively makes the whole show less scary for me. It's the same thing for me with this show now. The fact that this guy is a human, he's got human motivations. He's just angry. There's nothing else really about the character. He just never fit in in the mortal world. That doesn't that makes everything that he did in the season retroactively for me just kind of feel like kind of dumb and not very scary. So this reveal is that's the main reason it didn't work for me. I, I wish he had just been a creature from the Upside Down that has its own motivations, wants to take over the world, something like that. Um, him just being an angry human, I just found that a little underwhelming.
1: Yeah, maybe maybe a bigger fish will come along from the Upside Down world, and maybe they might actually be controlling him. This whole time, or they'll come along and maybe take Vecna out, and then they'll they'll be the new villain that the uh, the kids have to go against. That's a good point. We haven't
2: seen the whole season yet, so there could be more to this. Just at where it stands right now, I find a little underwhelming.
0: I get that. I think the reason it works for me is kind of like I just said with like and how his visual appearance um, looked. Also, shout out because from what I've read, apparently ninety percent of Vecna uh the makeup was practical. Only 10% was CG and I was like, holy shit, that's pretty cool. But I like that we got to hear uh one in nineteen seventy-nine talk about kind of his outlook on the world, and then him going to the upside down and becoming this like horrific creature essentially, and then looking where he's at for like the present day story in nineteen eighty six and he's like tormenting all of these people that like, are haunted about things, feel guilt, feel regret, it kind of tracks. So, like, while well, I hear what you're saying, Austin, like, he is just a human villain, and maybe he is just angry at the world, he, at least he's kind of consistent, and he's using his these scary powers he's now developed from going into the Upside Down. He's using them to kind of accomplish the mission that he told Eleven he was going to do seven years prior. So it's kind of like an extra level of scary in that way, which makes me even more excited for part two. To your point, Keith, it's like, is he going to survive part two and become like the big bad of season five, the final season? Or is he going to get taken out just to set up like a bigger bad or something? I don't know. But either way, I, I kind of like him. And, and he's a little bit more than just like an angry human for me. And and even to be even more simple, the idea of a human Villain in the upside down is kind of interesting, just because it's different, because we've seen the mind flare, we've seen the demigorgon, and we've seen characters kill the demigorgon, for Christ's sakes, like uh Hopper almost kills the Demigorgon in the finale here, so sure there's a mortality to the human villain, but the idea of him becoming an upside down creature is different, and he feels more real and more scary to me than the past villain. So I think that's why I'm pretty curious to see where he'll go.
2: I do hope we see Vecna like ordering creatures from the upside down to do stuff. Cause we have kind of like moved yeah. up the food chain throughout this show of, we started with the Demogorgon and now we're to Vecna. I hope we get kind of all the creatures we've seen, like working
1: for Vecna in part two of season four. I, I think that could be really fun. Man, those, uh, those little bird vulture things. Those are creepy whenever they first oh, get into the, uh, upside down world from the like
0: lake. <laughs> no, thanks.
2: compared you. to the Demogorgon, I found those a little underwhelming, but That's it's okay. a cool That's new right. creature. So
0: the Demogorgon really, uh, upped their uh, body count in that final episode for sure oh that
2: God. was awesome yeah. though the way that 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 was so cool and i love that it doesn't walk out it just full speed sprints mm-hmm. out of that tunnel
0: yeah that was dope all right guys well uh before we close out here let's do some closing points so now that season four part one is done What are you hoping to see in our final two season four episodes dropping on July 1st? So just over three weeks away. Pretty close. Episode eight is an hour and a half. And the finale is a whopping two and a half hours long. Somewhere Zack Snyder is throwing his hands to the sky and saying, thank you. You're doing it right. So what do you guys want to see?
2: And he's reaching out to the team saying, can I do a cut of this season? (laughs) It's interesting because it's not done yet i don't know if you guys saw this interaction on social media this week but stephen king tweeted his thoughts on on this season and he said kind of lame it's it's part one and part two i wish we had the whole thing and the stranger things writer room responded to him and said it's not done yet which is why we had to break it up it's coming soon though so like
1: they're still working on it which is kind of crazy that it comes out in a month yeah that's cool um yeah to answer your question though as far as what i'm looking forward to I said a little bit earlier. Um, looking forward to see what happens with Nancy, um, and how that's going to play out with her back in the swimming pool, nineteen eighty three, upside down world. Um, I would like to see more of the characters go into the upside down world. So, like we, we like we've talked about, we want to see all the characters come together. It'd be cool if like a big group goes into the upside down world for some for whatever reason, like Hopper, Joyce, all the kids, everybody.
2: Yeah, I think um, it's important to remember that Steve is still with Nancy while she's stuck in this trance and. I think they're setting up a Steve Harrington death. Um, Given the way that Steve and Dustin have been interacting, they're coming back to this relationship between him and Nancy. I think he could be dying in these final two episodes, and then there's going to be some guilt left over on Dustin's part for how he treated Steve this season. And then there may be some regret on Nancy's part for never having fully pursued a relationship with Steve.
0: I think Steve will 100% die. Will it be in season four, part two? I don't know, but there's no way he makes it out of the show. And I think season four, part one kind of solidified that i just think knowing how much the fans love him i think the duffer brothers are aware enough to go well that's our guy to kill because that's the one that's gonna have the most emotional impact to the fans and also he's the one that kind of gets around when you look at like the entire cast it seems like most of this cast like They have at least a very good relationship with Steve, even Jonathan, like he and Steve are friends. We didn't see them interact this season together, but they are on very good terms. All the kids seem to really like him. Obviously, he and Dustin have the closest relationship. And then even newcomers like Eddie can come in like, hey, man, you're a really good guy. <laughs> so I think he's definitely going to die. And I think the the point of Vecna about to kill Nancy with how Vecna works, I don't know if Steve can jump in front of it, but I think regardless, he will somehow sacrifice himself and it's going to be really sad.
2: Yeah. I wonder if because now they're in the upside down well, this is happening, maybe there's uh, a different interaction there because he's not reaching through a portal. One more point on this too, is that they have been setting up a similar dynamic between Dustin and Eddie as what well he has with Steve. So maybe if, if Steve dies in, in part two, they can have a similar relationship between him and Eddie in part, in season five.
0: That makes the most sense. Uh, everybody's going to be so sad. I'm going to be sad. Robin's going to be really sad. Oh, you know what's going to happen? Calling it now. The final, one of the final scenes of part two is Steve dies. And because Robin's going to be filled with regret that she never listened to Steve's advice, she's going to finally go after the girl that she's interested in because Steve would have told her to do that. So that's what she's going to do. There you go.
1: Do
2: they be bold and kill one of the kids? Do any of the kids die?
0: It doesn't feel like it yet, but there's a chance.
2: I think there's a shot for Lucas to die just because they have unresolved um, relationship issues between him and Max. Maybe that could lead to an interesting story. Um, I think he would be my number one bet if I had to bet for one of them to not make it out of this season.
0: I'm also obviously, while I enjoyed the Hopper Joyce reunion, even though I was like, "There's not a lot of stakes here." I think everybody's gonna be hard pressed not to love. Is I hope it happens in part two, but I guess we'll see. Depends on how long it takes to escape Russia. I'm not aware of the the time constraints on that, but I am excited for the Hopper and Eleven reunion whenever that does happen. Um,
2: does he bring her some egos?
0: I don't know. I don't know. They had that big like church filled with a. Like goods in Russia. Somebody can grab a box before they fly back.
2: Yeah, I think in the 80s Russia, they are only eating peanut butter. That's breakfast, lunch, and dinner for the Russians.
0: That's interesting. I wasn't aware of that. Okay. Uh, Also, random prediction I think Vecna will return to. I don't even know what you would call it. I mean, Vecna will do the Vecna thing where he like targets somebody specific, except in part two, I think he will do that to Victor Creole. We'll get another Robert Englund scene and I think he will kill his dad.
2: Mm. Does he try to target Eleven's mind?
0: That's the question, because like unless I'm mistaking it, like you I guess you have do you have to be haunted, feel guilt or feel regret, or can Vecna target anybody? Like that's all we've seen so far was the former. So I'm curious. Maybe he can't target her. Maybe he doesn't want to. So Will she
2: feel regret from the roller skate incident? And that's how he gets she in
0: shouldn't. there. She shouldn't. She shouldn't. I'll tell you that. <laughs> all right, guys. Then let's close out. That is season four, part one of Stranger Things. So now it is time for the most prestigious award show, potentially of all time. And that is, of course, the Arnie's Podcast Awards. This is where we all get together. And throw out something positive or negative, doesn't really matter, anything in between. We just have to shout out something specifically from what we're talking about this season in particular. What do we think deserves an award? So guys, start me off.
2: Yeah, I am giving my most anticipated death award to Mr. Wheeler. This guy he is useless. Die. He's always making snide comments. He hates his kids. Uh, he hates his kids' friends. He hates their interests. He is a terrible father. And I hope he gets mangled by Vecna.
0: And his wife is so hot and he doesn't appreciate her. God. She almost banged Billy. I know. Her and she Billy she almost picked up. Maybe she should have. Wait, was he <laughs> underage? Maybe not. I don't know. Never mind. <laughs> that is a storyline they're not uh, putting out in 2022. Not revisiting that you one. That's fair. That's fair. But I do agree that Mr. Wheeler should die just for the way that he looked at Dustin whenever he was trying to eat some pancakes. I'm going to give the Sleep Deprivation Award to Jonathan.
1: This guy's eyes are sunken in so bad in this season. He looks like shit. He looks like he hasn't slept in days, which is probably right. Yeah, the Byers family has terrible genes. They are all hideous. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't help his brother has a three-students haircut either. Oh, no.
0: <laughs> his brother is like 92 years old. <laughs> oh, my God. That's like the most insane growth spurt I've ever seen in my entire life. He is so tall. <laughs> he is a giraffe in a five-year-old's body. Oh my God. And mine, of course, is a simple award, but a much deserved one. The best taste in music is going to max. I, like the rest of the world, cannot stop listening to Kate Bush, especially Running Up That Hill. That song rocked. The ending of episode four, Dear Billy, where she escapes Vecna, was a fist pump moment, mostly because the music was rocking. That quick little flashback montage they threw together was giving me life. I loved it. So shout out to her. Great taste in music.
2: If Netflix does not release a Max's playlist on Spotify, it's a missed marketing opportunity. I'm saying it right now.
0: All right. Well, with that, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit that follow button so you never miss our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, we really would appreciate that to continue to grow our show. Please leave us reviews as well. Even if you want to write anything, leaving us a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts really does help us out. At the Arnie's is our social, and the Arnies. media is the website. We'll be back on Tuesday for, dare I say it, guys, I don't know if you remember how this little ditty goes, but it's I time do. for the boys, the boys talking The Boys. The Boys season three just released its first three episodes all in one batch. So you best believe we're coming back to talk about it. We did episode by episode reviews way back when, when season two came out. So we're going to give you a little tease with this little batch of three episodes. So look forward to it.
2: And it will be actually four episodes by the time we record. So the whole Ooh, first half
0: okay, there of you go. season
2: three of The Boys, we'll be talking it. Uh, normally I would plug some past episodes here, but guys, this is our two year anniversary episode. Hell yeah. Uh, so I just want to say thank you. Thank you for everybody that's checked us out these past two years. We've had a blast making this show. We've got our schedule planned out for the next like year and a half. So we're not going anywhere anytime soon and we can't wait to
1: keep putting out more content. Yeah. Thank you. It's been a wild ride. I can't believe it's been two years.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much, everybody. This kind of started as just a fun way for us to stay connected and do something that we always wanted to do kind of during the height of um the pandemic and it's turned into something that we just are really enjoying doing now what love seeing uh the numbers go up love seeing you guys watching this and enjoying it so keep doing it and we're gonna keep putting it out there thank you so much it's been a blast and
2: i hope you're not watching because this is an audio show so if you're watching us that's a big problem
0: (laughs) If you're watching, you might be a uh, Dustin's creepy girlfriend that can hack into everything.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, we want to hear from you, so please send us a message on Instagram at the Arnie's or email us the Arnie's Media at gmail.com. What did you think of season four, part one of Stranger Things? Will Hawkins ever go a year without a murder? Will Mike stop bitching? Will Will cut his boy hair? <laughs> so many questions. Will we get
2: answers in part two? I hope we get an answer to the haircut question.
0: He just sees Hopper walk in the room and he's like, Wow, I like your bald head. Can you do that to me? And Hopper's <laughs> like, please let me <laughs> you freak.
2: Hopper's gonna Hopper's gonna come out of the upside down and see Will and go, yeah, Everything I saw in, in the upside down was less scary than your haircut. Oh god. All
0: right. Well, before I have a laugh attack, everybody, have a great rest of your week. We'll be back next time for the boys talking the boys. See you then. See ya. Bye, Papa. <laughs> no.